Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In my universe, there are two types of pirates. The pirates who fly the black flag, who are just like, we're pirates, we want to take your stuff, we won't kill you, just don't give us any shit, all right? Just get out of here. Then there are blood pirates. Blood pirates go onto your ship, they harvest all your organs and anything of value. They don't care, they're the filthiest form of outlaws there are. I love the RPG Mothership. So I sat down with Eric, who is a creator of a new zine for Mothership called Rain in Blood. It's both a scenario and a source book. We talk about how he found Mothership during the pandemic and how it inspired him to become a creator. We step through how he created the zine and what his thoughts are on zines as a format. We touch on the economics of bringing a zine to print in the face of a global paper crisis. And stick around to the end where he talks about how generous the community in the indie RPG scene can be and how making rain for him was an eye-opening journey. It's the people on Patreon that support Third Floor Wars that allows me to bring you content on a weekly basis. I want to thank some of our most recent patrons. Zagrave, Nick Louie, Sledgend, Keller O'Leary, Robert Antony, Peter Shepard, Jesse Miller, Tony Vicinda, John Harper, and Sean and Abby Drake. Thanks to each of you and the 100 other plus patrons. All right, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Eric. Do you love to unplug and play games around the table? Greetings, friends and floorheads to Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you love tabletop gaming, you are in the right place. Listen as Craig delivers in-depth discussions and interviews with game designers, creators, insiders, and experts. Learn from the people making and playing the role-playing, miniature, and board games you love. Hi friends, Craig here. My guest is Eric Alsandor, creator of Rain in Blood, a mothership adventure in Sourcebook. Eric, welcome to the third floor. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. So uh, before we launch into it, I have to unfortunately put you through the routine of your origin story. So at one okay. point in time, Eric, you knew nothing about tabletop role playing, and then it was put in front of you for the first time. So can we go back there and tell that story? Uh, yeah, I- to be honest, man, I've been playing games since I was like tabletop games since I was probably six. I know I don't look it, but I'm forty. <laughs> I'm forty three years old, so it's probably Red Box D and D. I guess you guys call it like Dungeon Crawl Classics now, or so, I don't even. I, I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Red Box. Yeah, yeah, yeah Red, Red Box. Box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I came across it at a friend's house under a bed, and I think that old school art from like Larry Elmore kind of pulled me in. Yeah, and then uh, just decoding it. Because, like, to me, as a kid, reading those books, it made no sense. Like, the, the way statistics and stuff like that. But, yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty much the order story for it, to be fair. I mean, long and short. So that's where you first found it. Do you uh, remember one of your first sessions, uh, The kind of the first time you actually played the game? 
Yeah, I mean, I was kind of like the forever DM of my group. We played through like fifth grade through about high school. And then we went through that phase like, you know, like like most people did. If you grew up in the 90s in high school, we're like, all of a sudden we stopped playing Dungeons and Dragons and we started playing White Wolf material. We played White Wolf material, a lot of Vampire Masquerade and all the iterations of that stuff for a long time. Then we went then back to college and then back to we, I've never I've never really stopped playing. There were breaks. But I've been running and writing games for probably 20 years. That's crazy. Because, yeah, usually, you know, in that college area, a lot of people take a break, right? And they mm-hmm. they go and then they come back as an adult uh, or an older adult, I should say, and, and end up finding it. Um, so you go from Dungeons & Dragons, you go to Vampire the Masquerade. When you look back on it, was there any other systems or games that you remember, like, having a huge impact on you or changing you how how you thought about the um, role, role playing? Yeah, so... Uh, I would say the two most influential games in my life have been D6 Western game Star Wars. Nice. Because, uh, I mean, that was the, one of the first times you'd ever seen like a, a skill a skill system that was basically, you know, you there was no character classes. You just, they kind of were archetypes, but you, it was such a, it was probably one of the first, like, aside from like RuneQuest, where it's like, this is how it is, it's really simple, boom. And then Shadowrun, which was, Shadowrun was like, it's it was one of the most complicated systems to run but if you like if you like minutia crunch like i want to i want to take a whole session and build a car and <laughs> you know like put all the pieces in the car and like i want to be a rigger yeah. and like you can do all that i mean i had all those splat books dude and uh the guy i, I was never smart to run shadow run but my buddy who run in college is you know his his whole family worked for nasa so like <laughs> and he could like he could make it work. But so you need to be a rocket scientist to run Shadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but Shadowrun was good because you had the wound track boxes, right? And you know, you had the it was it was truly a freeform skill. I mean, obviously, it was ba- built in the bones of cyberpunk, but there was a lot of options there. And so, those two games, aside from like you know your classic D and D, which is I think is beyond comparison. It's just kind of like it, it has to be everyone's entry level. I don't know. I don't think I know anybody who wasn't. DD yeah, wasn't. it's by far the most common first game, no but question. Those, yeah, but those two games, you know, both of them, we had long running campaigns with player death and like a highs and lows, and yeah, those two concepts stuck with me. Even when creating Rain and Blood, working for Mothership, those two games had a very heavy influence on me writing the zine. So. As, as an older guy now, then when you first started playing Shadowrun, I, I got to say, you know, there's a certain like stable of games, Eric, that keep coming up when I have these origin sure. story talkers sure. with creators. And Shadowrun is a big part of a lot of people's role playing history. Mm-hmm. And now looking back on it, do you have a sense of why that might be not just for you, but why so many creators like spent so much time playing Shadowrun? I think, I mean, obviously beyond the fact that it was one of the first really true urban fantasy games, but the world building in Shadowrun is, is like masterclass. Like you have a whole timeline of history and there's enough, there's enough like real world stuff seated in with mega corporations and how they manipulate people. And the, and then like, obviously like I remember reading those novels, I read a ton of those novels, reading those novels in a uh, middle school and being like, what's email. I mean, that's how old I am. There was like no email. <laughs> And yeah. I know it's electronic mail. That's what it stands for. But like, I mean, but like we, I had a German, I had it. So basically Shadowrun is a big deal in Europe, like in Germany. And we had, Oh, a German, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. So when fast went belly up, you know, these got the catalyst games out of Germany, they picked it up and they expanded it. And they, I think they have it to this day, but, um, but we had a German DM who knew, I mean, obviously he's, you know, educated in, you know, 
European model, which is a lot better than ours over here. But yeah, like, so, like no seven languages. Yeah. <laughs> so he ran it. It was just like he was. I mean, he ran like almost like OSRE, where it's like, okay, you're dead. What? I mean, what? Oh yeah, go ahead and take. You know, if you want to sit around, sit out, and next time you come. I mean, like so, like, it it really made you like think about gun engagements. Like you would. I mean, doesn't matter how many points you had in your guy, you will die if you do not check every door and cross all your T's because he didn't, he just rolled dice and you would get, but I, I don't know. There's something about Shadowrun in the world building. I've read all the novels. I mean, to, to a lesser extent too, I mean, you could say Warhammer 40K, but that's another world building kind of thing as you've seen over time. But uh, I don't know. And then Western, Western game Star Wars was just like those, those, and I've talked to Sean about this many times to Sean McCoy. Yeah. Those books by Western games were, there's the technical manuals and all the stuff to this day. They're still used by Lucasfilm as like, they yep. give them to the producers like here, like this is what these ships are, the breakdown, the floor maps, the, like the equipment guides. I mean, they're so well-written. Um, and that's another game that's often referred to Sean for a lot of reasons, right? Because the quality of work that came out, uh, came off of that game is incredible. And mechanically it was way ahead of its time. I mean, die pool system and, and the simplicity of it. And uh, God, I mean, when you played, West End Star Wars, you were, you were in Star Wars. And I have to say that uh, many iterations afterwards, the only other game that I think has come close to it is the Fantasy Flight narrative dice system. I think that does a good job of capturing it, but it's still not like what it was playing Han Solo scoundrel with the D6 system. It just wasn't the same. Craig, you seem like a nice guy. So I'm not going to. Oh, jeez, here we go. <laughs> but like, I mean, you got to take, I mean, I love Fantasy Flight, but like when you try to monetize things with the tokens and all the little stuff with like that, it's like, I, 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 on my tier list of, of, of people who try to nail the license, it probably comes in third after the, 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 the original D20 system for Star Wars did a better job, in my opinion, because they even, even with them, like hit points were just kind of like your, I, I like the, I like the whole fact that your constitution was actually your hit points and like the, I don't know, but the, the problem with that, problem, the problem with that was they didn't have the money or the legs and they, it, they dropped support for it after a while, but, um, to, like all the Western stuff is online for free in PDFs. Like the community has like put it all together, and it doesn't get any better than that. You don't need the you don't need anything else. It's all free. All the modules, like I like for I mean, I tell people all the time, you want to run a good mothership module, just download one of those modules and just change some of the names around locations. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> very true. In fact, we live streamed uh, Star Wars using your favorite system from Fantasy Flight, and um, I, I did it using uh, some of the West End modules for exactly that reason, right? Because, I mean, they're all there, and you can just grab them. Um, a big shame. All right, so now we're going to fast forward, and I need to take you to the moment when you first got your hands on Mothership. So how did you find out about Mothership, and what was, what was your first take? So Pandemic. We're all sitting around. We're literally playing Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition every single day. I'm not the biggest fan of Fifth Edition, but like my buddy's like, okay, let's play it. So we played every day. And then, you know, what in, this is, I'll try to keep this concise. So basically, uh, Alien RPG had dropped. Yeah. And I was like, oh shit, this is, oh my God. Like, it, you know, it was like, you know, it was my first experience really with, um, uh, with, uh, Free League, right? So like the, yep. the art is really there, the, the graphic design is there. This is great. We, we started playing it and then I was like, um, oh, you know, like we had gone through the material and I was like, I want to take them on a little something else. And I, and then Radiant Descent had dropped from Mothership mm-hmm. and I was like, what is this? And then like I read it and I, there was such, Sean has such a great grasp of like layout design and graphic design. I went to school for info design. So I was like, I didn't understand what, what it meant. It was extremely hard to navigate. I couldn't read it. 
uh, the fonts are really messy. There's really busy, but there was something there. And then like, as I started to explore it more, science fiction, science fiction horror is my favorite, is my favorite uh, genre. Mm-hmm. And then given, I just felt there was more flexibility in Mothership to tell the stories that I wanted to tell where freely, where Alien is very much like a, a, a prescriptive kind of experience. It's a closed world. Yeah, yeah, it's a closed loop and you see the thing and you have to, but with this, it's like you can tell all the stories that I love growing up. I mean, even before any of this science fi horror, I mean, from Pandorum to like, you know, obviously the Event Horizon, all like the outlets, all those things where it's like, because space in and of itself is is terrifying, mm-hmm. and you don't have to do all the jumping through hoops to tell a horror story. It's like you're you're in space, you're alone, no one can help you, and let's just begin the adventure. And uh, that's where it started. And then uh, you know, but but, but but how did you find out about it? I guess Eric is what I'm trying to figure out. So right? Because it's yeah, I was on the I was on the Facebook group for uh, Free League uh, Alien RPG, which is a mm-hmm. pretty bumpy community. And then somebody was like, I just picked up Gradient Descent. You should check this out. Android Mega Dungeon. And I was like, and then I was like reading about it and I ordered it. And then I just started getting into it. And then as soon as, and then Pound, I got in the Discord and started like, you know, making trouble there. And then like, I got, got, <laughs> got a total pound of flesh. Yeah. And the whole, then I t- called my buddies. We ran it. And I've been running a, I probably ran 60 games in Mothership on my year. No long. shit. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And um, obviously we've got a new edition uh, that was kickstarted recently that was yep. mildly successful. And yeah. um, <laughs> it, uh, what do you think about the changes? So I'm a pretty vocal person in the community. I'm kind of like a libertine iconoclast. Like I have like my detractors and I have my <laughs> proponents. And I'm pretty outspoken. I don't give a fuck who you are. I will tell you what I think. I don't care who you pretend to be or whatever. I don't know. But so they, I, I felt as though there's some there's like a certain kind of magic that happened with Zero Edition Mothership that I yep. I liked, and then there was some tweaks that Sean and Alan had made to it that I didn't like, and especially in regards to character progression and like the lack of stat progression and how easily you die, armor damage, and then I kind of pleaded with Sean behind the scenes to like address some of this because like I. I get irritated. I got started getting irritated because like so much of the game started to go towards single experience, limited run stuff. And I'm like, I want to tell complete stories. My, in my opinion, to tell a good mothership story, my characters take about six to seven sessions, two and a half hour sessions. Mm-hmm. to have a full arc because I don't like to interrupt their role playing. When you, I don't know if you ever run games at conventions, but you kind of have to railroad them to get you to the, the plot. And when you want to build tension, you just can't do that. It just comes like a running gun and you just, people die. And that's what I pushed back on. And like with uh, alien RPG, they started to go that route and we played all through all the new stuff, all the new stuff. by guess we played through all of it. And at the end of it, we were just like, this doesn't work for campaign play. <laughs> like, yeah. So that's what I pushed back on. So there are things that I like about it. And there's stuff that me and Sean talk about to this day. Like we, I, we, we talk about um, customizing the ships like making them more like a, a home in space because that it was mm-hmm. really those the zero edition mothership shipbuilding was terrible and yep. no one used it and uh talked about some world some like giving people giving people who don't run games some more to work with like a rogues gallery or corporation names or some enemies stock enemies just to get the ball rolling and he put that in there and then some stuff with um uh how many because what sean did was he cut the he cut the, your hit points in half he cut your stats in half so now your fail your fail scenario was super 
super high in that game. So when you have players, they will get frustrated if they can't do simple things. And, you know, it, when you run mothership, you kind of have to free people's minds about like, you don't, and not everything needs, not everything needs a dice roll, Correct. but some people are so married to that. I can see the frustration of my players faces when they just can't, when they can't do simple things. So when I wrote rain and blood, I kind of like gave them my own version of a skill tree. There is stealth there. There is some yep. underworld there. Like you can have that like as an alternative to what's been presented in, um, but as far as like everything else goes, like I really, I, I think they're doing a good job. You know, I mean, yeah. like, if it's not broke. Don't fix it. You know, and the panic system, I think is better. Um, that yeah, was I one agree. of my few complaints in zero was how stress worked. And I think it it's was, much better now. And it was retarded, yeah. man. Like we, uh, so we all, a lot of us use the calm system that, uh, that quadra came up with on his so like the, it basically it was built for campaign play it was like yep. you had a you know condition a long condition table and you you know you the the more you go into it so in my games i'm left and right i'm penalizing calm left and right and the characters are starting to get like lose their minds slowly as opposed to just like you snap and then yeah yeah kind of yeah so. no i agree all right so you're playing mothership you're like shit this is my this is my jam it's the genre i love um you know it, it doesn't have the limitations that i was that i was feeling in in alien at some point though there's the seed the idea for rain and i'd like mm-hmm. to know if you can go back to that moment so when did you start like piecing that together so one of my best friends, Paul Vermeeren, is the author and creator of a zine called Gridshock, which just dropped, which is like a post-apocalyptic science fiction zine, which is really good. My buddy Paul, he's like me, he's been gaming his entire life around the same age, he's a master librarian. And then there's something that just kind of dawned on me where I was like, wait, I don't, wait a minute, I've been, I, why don't I just make a zine? Like, I have the background for it. I, yeah. <laughs> like, I can, I'm a graphic designer, I can do all this. And then, like, I've written... Let me just do this. And then so I looked at the landscape. This is with zero E. I looked at the landscape and I was like, what's missing? Who what hasn't been tackled yet? There's no antagonist that have been put the paper yet, really. Yep. Uh a lot a lot of the zines out there I thought need a little bit more hand holding in terms of like giving some structure, but enough wiggle room to like make your own things happen. And then just tackle it. Okay, no one's really done space pirates. What does that look like? And then obviously, like I'm gonna have to throw my spin on it, which was some like what's what's in a horror element that can add to space pirates and i was like well religious horror i just got done doing a deep dive on a bunch of religious horror stuff and that seemed to fit the mill so i was like okay so we got vamp we got like some kind of vampires we got space pirates we got antagonists we got a weird cult and then that's where it all came from like literally and i just wrote half the manuscript in one go and then no kidding yeah and and that was just a matter of you just dumping it out now at Mm -hmm. what point how many iterations did you go through before it saw the table? Uh, three. Wow. Because okay. it kept because it, it grew. It, at first, it was like I'm just gonna do just a ship adventure, and then I was like, well, no, let me give a, a dramatic conclusion. I when I wrote it, I, I wrote it in mind of like with great consideration to the guy running it, and then to the players playing it. So half the adventure is like kind of like a you you would play you would play Rain and Blood this on the second adventure you've already done like the you know like your little first run of whatever but this is the second one you kind of have the idea of the mechanics and i give a lot of tools in rain and blood to tweak the experience up or down mm-hmm. considering whatever the second half is completely unbalanced 
you will don't go over there. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. Don't go. You have an option to go. The, the antagonist taunts you. He's like, come on. And then you can just leave. So I try. So it's a well, it just grew to like 60 pages overnight. Like, like that's that something. Yeah. So it took a little while to get there. As you're going through the iteration process, as you're going through the play testing, um, what were some big things that came out of that process? So if I were to look at that first day three, uh, you know, throwing up on the page that you did, just kind of getting it all out at once, then you start iterating, you start play testing. And now I look at the one that's on my shelf. What am I going to see that changed? So I took a 360 view. I read like Lazy D, like Lazy DM, which is a great, which is yep. a great book. I love to watch a lot of YouTube, a lot of like stuff. Seth Skorkowski, a lot of good, a lot of good guys on the where you can get trapped in an adventure. Obviously, like what if somebody dies, like if somebody dies, is there other replacement NPCs? Because that person's get back in the game. Is there a way to unstuck the plot? Everyone's dead, but one guy. Is there, you know, is there enough stuff seated in the game to keep the momentum moving forward? Is there a timer? Yes. Is there the imminent threat of being captured? Yes. Is there, you know, like these, are there moral choices to make in the game where you can, I can save some crew, but it will risk exposing myself. So it creates tension among the players and the, and the scenario. Mm -hmm. So that, so as we played the game and tested with my, with my people, those are things I put back in there. So they wouldn't be back into a corner. It's, I didn't want to make it so linear where you, this is what you have to do. It's more like you're on the first adventure is you're on a ship. It's like a control panel style. You can go here, you can go there. You can attempt to free people. You can attempt to like guerrilla warfare. You can use the vents. You can do whatever. And if you, if you die, it's because you just tried to ape your way through the, through the system. I mean, that's just face. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, at what point do you then move to layout? When do you decide, okay. Uh, Immediately, uh, instantly. Oh, interesting. Really? How so? Yes. Sean and I, I'm also surprised to hear that Sean, I'm actually surprised to hear that Sean has the same mentality. As soon as I had like a working manuscript within like, you know, obviously there's some spelling errors and some grammatical, grammatical stuff. My editor, Paul, is really good at taking my nonsense and chopping it down. Because as a design, one of the benefits of being a graphic designer and the writer or whatever you want to call it, I have the ability to edit on the fly around items. And let me tell you something, Craig. I do not like the zine format. I do not. I wish it was not the way it is, but I'm not going to ice get a pill with it. It sucks. Like, cause like you can't, you have to pack everything so tight, especially with maps, with maps. And then, you know, you, you have guys who are like, well, you have the map, the map has to have like references and like numbers numbered and da, 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 da. And to do all that, it takes a lot to do all that. So I immediately start putting in there. Like I immediately start blocking out text, blocking out text, filler text, and start working all the images. I knew I needed this. The first draft that I sent to uh, Sean just to look at was like block text. Image goes here, block text. This is being worked on. To see how much copy I had, then we went in and edited. Then the editing right. part sort of happened. So I highly recommend that if you have the ability just to start blocking out sections of text as soon as possible. The zine format, you will run out of, you will run out of stuff very quickly. You, will, you just will. You just will. You know, and did you have a vision of the aesthetic from the very beginning? Because it's aesthetically it's just a gorgeous piece of work, man. And yes. I want to know, was that from the beginning? You always knew it was going to look like that or was that an evolution as well? OK, I'm glad you asked that. So like um, I, I make a lot of like in my you know, I'm a consultant and I'm also a bouncer and I'm also like a I do a lot of stuff at the pandemic. I'm like, I got to do all this stuff. 
So I looked around. I was out there, and I was like, obviously, you know, Morkborg was Morkborg was doing its thing, but there was Arc Punk, and I'm like, finally, I can do Arc Punk. Oh my god! Like, we don't have to do this fifth edition D and D tables that are very dry. But I felt as though too many people were trying to copy, like, trying to emulate Sean's style in terms of like his very clean, rounded corner layouts, and his stuff is like good. But like, just like in Morkborg, there's a ton of like questionable quality Morkborg stuff who are trying to copy those guys and stuff don't just do it in your own way it doesn't art punk does not mean you have to like chop up like xerox copies of the bible just do it basically they broke borders so you can break borders so when i did mine i'm like well i like the uh, i wanted to distinguish it and do kind of like a horror punk do a horror punk uh inspired thing you know what i mean i was gonna be fuck it we're gonna do full color i don't care i'll I'll eat the cost i don't want to compromise my vision yeah. There was some, there was some, in my opinion, some low effort stuff floating around out there, and I'm like, no, 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 no. We have, this, it has to be as long as the core, and lo- as long as the core tenets are survival, horror, and exploration, you can do whatever you want to do in that sphere. So that's where the inspiration came from. Did you know you were going to kickstart it from the very beginning, or did that come at some point during the process? Well, I've never kickstarted anything, and oh my god, did I learn my lesson on a lot of shit and holy <laughs> oh my god but i was like you know my, my buddy he kickstarted it you know he's he's a librarian so i was like i'm gonna give this a try it was terrifying like i actually so? want because i mean like just like you don't know like a kickstarter does not you know i don't know if any kickstarter stands here but kickstarter does not do a very good job of like preparing you for like there is no like i for example i was, I was on a plane i was on a plane in las vegas and like all right i'm gonna launch the pre-launch page and i accidentally launched the page that's why there's two iterations of Brain and Blood on Kickstarter. And I was like, oh, no. Like, I called him. Hey, do you take this down? Like, Because it, it doesn't tell you, you know? And like once you're once somebody gives you money, man, I mean, it's it's all built on credibility that I will finish this thing. Yeah. And uh, it put me to task. I mean, luckily where I was professionally, I had a lot of downtime. And uh, I wanted to see if I could do it. And I could do And I did it. And I was going to – I should have trusted my instincts and just do domestic shipping. But I had so many people in Europe being like, you bastard. How dare you? <laughs> and then I, you know, now it's like, God, dog, man. And then like the pledge manager stuff and the back and forth with them. And like, and now even like now sashaying in the paper thing, which is a huge issue now. Like, yeah, now I wanted to talk about that. Oh talk talk to me about that, Eric. Okay. Well, we're in basically what to call Craig, uh, no paper crisis lockdown. Okay. So like, so, you know, man, Sean, Sean is such a, he's such a, such a rad dude, man. Cause like, you know, I was like, because it's basically, and I'll tell anybody who watches your podcast or listens, Mick Sam basically emailed me and was like, sorry, we don't have any paper. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do about that. Take your money back. And I'm like, well, can, you, can I get a deposit on this Like, take my, until you get paper? Nah, just uh, try to submit it again later on down the line. And this is, a, I've already gotten proofs from them. I mean, I have like, Ugh. I have the zine, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I was like, are you going to let me, you're going to let me get proofs just, and then just back out? Walk oh, away. My. Walk away because, you know, Sean seems to think that Mixam are just brokers, right? They're not actually a print house. They just go to local printers and they go, hey, we won't tell you who it is. You know, you know, like so your, your costs don't get messed up and just print on the DL and we'll cut you in. But I don't. I, and then so and then Mixam is like, hey, costs are also going to go up to what? Oh, we don't know. We can't tell you. So it's so when you plan it, when you plan it six months ago and here we are now, if you try now everything is quoting like between two and three thousand dollars up from like seventeen hundred dollars. So it's a big, it's a big 
it's a big chunk I have to hit. And so all of us came together, Joel Hines and like all the guys, all the 3P guys get ready to print. We all formed, you know, we all got together to have basically a discussion about this and source out printing because like, yeah, there is no paper. So, and then Zemo just happened. So a bunch of guys can get ready to go to press. And I'm, I got news for you, man. Like, cause my, in blood is done. It is completely done in the bag. And I, I'm having to wait on paper samples from different printers and start this whole thing all over again. And it's, it's terrifying and it's heartbreaking. It makes this whole process with Kickstarter even more stressful, you know? Now, one of the things that I hear when I talk to people who have done Kickstarters is, is they talk about kind of the, the timer. Um, and, and the timer is, is the money that's in the, in the account, right? And how you just watch that bleed away and you watch your budgets, you know, have to be adjusted and things like that. Was that a big part of the process for you, Eric, or did things go relatively smoothly as far as what you predicted and what, what ended up happening? So um, in my consulting the consulting wing of my enterprises i do a lot of like cost analysis and like mm-hmm. spreadsheet you know, like you know like uh cost theoretical so building spreadsheets and like and getting that return on investment was was pretty easy and i'm an artist and graphic designer so and i only really i only really paid for a few pieces of art so like it really the overhead wasn't super high but i probably got five six hundred dollars over budget at the end of it and i was like i don't care whatever here i'm just gonna like the price of like the price, the price, some of the merchandise went up, the price of the patches went up, like whatever here, I don't care. And then, um, but the big, the big part of it was, um, the pay, obviously the paper stuff. So yeah. I, I, I mean, as long as to me, it's kind of like, I wanted to keep this going. So I don't mind taking a more of a financial hit to get my name out there and hopefully people mm-hmm. the scene and get feedback from it. But on the next one, there's definitely going to be tighter controls because the, un, there's so many on the shipping, man. Oh my God. Like it's insane, man. Like, so that's that is crazy so guys we have been talking to eric so far about really the process right um how we got to the thing doesn't exist now the thing's in everybody's hands we're going to take a quick break when we get back from this break we're going to talk about rain and blood we'll be right back are you a tabletop rpg player that is considering becoming a game master Are you a veteran GM that is always looking for different ways to improve your games? GM Mastermind is an RPG podcast that tackles topics catering to the art of game mastering. But Craig, there are a lot of RPG podcasts that do that. Perhaps. But GM Mastermind has the brain trust. It's a guest panel made up of two to three game masters from different backgrounds and experiences that share their personal insights on a particular topic. This keeps the conversation fresh, diverse, and insightful from one episode to the next. So head over to gmmastermind.com or subscribe to GM Mastermind wherever you find your favorite podcasts. So we kind of buried the headline a little bit, uh, Eric, because there's people that are listening that <laughs> don't know what rain and blood is exactly. So l- let's talk about um, maybe obviously no spoilers. Right. But l- let's give them an overview of of the adventure itself. So like when I 
I've talked about Rain and Blood a few times on different podcasts, but I'll try to be cons- I'll try to be a, a non-spoilery as possible. So in the fiction of the world that I the world that I build, it's kind of organic, right? So in my world, like the, the the player characters' backgrounds who die and come in the game kind of like build the world. So in my world, there's like a golden age of space exploration, a silver age, and kind of like a bronze age. It's kind of like nice. comic books. You know, the golden age is like, oh like Elon Musk, let's go at Corvettes. Like, okay, and then like the silver age is kind of like we're out here, now we're fighting over resources. And it's rough. And then the Bronze Age being like everything, everything's recycled, reused. Space, space sucks. Here we are, you know. So my, the, my game kind of takes place at the end of that silver era where it's like reused equipment and whatever. So as people become detached from Earth, because one or two generations have born, people know, have heard about Earth. They don't care about it. All the moral, all the moralities, all the, the Western morality is all left behind. You have you have fringe groups now who have lived long enough in space to detach themselves from, you know, any kind of like law or whatever. So I'm a big fan of like things like um, I'm a huge fan of um, Heart of Darkness, Conrad. Um, mm-hmm. or I guess you guys would know it as like uh, Apocalypse Now, where yep. it's a it's a very Apocalypse Now where it's like there's a very it just takes one very char- char- charismatic person to give you permission. I give you permission to do horrible things and no one will judge you for it as long as you do it in my name. And so that, that gives you a moral fiber to form this group. So what rain and blood is rain and blood is in my universe, there are two types of pirates. There's pirates who fly the black flag who are just like, we're pirates. We're going to take your stuff. We won't kill you. Just don't give us any shit. All right. Just get out of here. Then there are blood pirates, blood pirates go onto your ship. They harvest all your organs and anything of value. They don't care. They're the filthiest form of outlaws there are. Everyone hates them, including the including the pirate clans who have some kind of honor. No one likes them. And so, in your mind, there's a part in there's a part in um in Apocalypse Now where Colonel Kurtz talks about how like these Viet Cong guys wouldn't cut the arms off all these children who got this vaccination. And it's he talks about the mor- the moral man and the amoral man how they, how they coexist in the same person. And that's what you have to do. You have to give somebody a moral framework who can do these cut people open, ch- people, children, old people, take their organs out while they're sleeping and they're vulnerable, and just like get up the next day like nothing ever happened. You know, right. and then and then so that's what blood pirates are. So practice blood pirates just basically go st- steal your organs in space, and they they attack uh, they attack transport ships. Uh, from the inner system, the Terran systems, which have better air and, you know, they're, they actually, you know, sunlight and have, you know, because just like shark fin soup in China, it's like, there's a, there's a percept, there's a perception exists that these fresher organs, sure. uh, you know, are better instead of the recycled, grown, back grown stuff. Right. Right. But so over time, this one organic, you want yeah, your you organs organic. organic, you want it fresh. Right. So free range people. Yeah. So what these pirates do is like, there's, you know, these guys are the original guys who did it. Now there's other guys who copy it, but what what's what's not really known is there's like there's a religious cult of guys who do this. They take some cuts and they sell in the black markets and they keep the other cuts for themselves. And what they do with that, you have to find out. Rain and blood. It's a big. Their religious leader is a man named Martin Rain, who is the title character of the book. And these blood pirates are a cult, and they're organized kind of like a like a mockery of the Catholic Church. Like there's like a, you know there's like bishops and whatever whatever else their robes and there's you know there's a lot of it's based on byzantine greek orthodoxy which is crazy those guys were like those weird you know like occult stuff yeah yeah like even the chanting and stuff 
And so, uh, and obviously there's some people like, is there, is there 40K influence? And I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? Like, there's, there's flying Catholic spaceships, why not? Who cares? Um, and so, so there's that component. And the last component being is I'm really fascinated by Miami. Uh, yeah, bear with me, Craig. Miami street kids. Um, Miami street. There's, a, there's an article in Vice a long time ago with these Miami street kids that worship like Santeria. And they basically, they prayed this like, you know, this, this folk figure for help. Well, in my fiction, that happens too. So all these people who like, all these people who like, you know, they're they're thrown away or they're void born guys. They're they're trash or street scum who live in these space stations and colonies. You know, they all like, it's kind of like they all kind of like pray to this person. Martin Rain, Martin Rain in my universe is the same thing as Davy Jones. You say his name, like you you know, you sit in Martin Rain, homie, like he's the flying duck. and that it kind of gives this, it kind of plays up this. um superstition in space and so these kids spray the symbol like kind of like the devil horns you know it's like but that's it's it's real and what happens when the characters cross that it becomes like this that's where the horror comes into play and there's the supernatural stuff involved to some degree yep yeah and and and, and it's funny because you mentioned it very early on and it's one of the things that i noticed when i read it for the first time is is that idea that i i don't i didn't realize we were missing an antagonist um and 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 a big kind of a big bad and and i think rain does a great job of kind of filling that and then the mythology that you built around it i thought was excellent um but because it was supernatural it was fantastical but it but i could tell it was grounded so hearing you talk about this eric a lot of it makes a ton of sense but you didn't stop with the adventure which i thought was interesting there's a lot of other things that you did in there which is is something that we're seeing especially in the mothership group where you know people are putting in their own touches to the system or adding to the system um was that from the beginning you were going to do that or was that as you were going you you're like oh i need to put this in here too i'm trying to get a sense of where kind of that source book the stuff that we're going to reuse on games outside of rain it's all about utility man like i wanted to pick a one-stop shop where like even if you didn't want to run the adventures like so no i don't want to throw any i don't want to throw any shade anybody but like you know i I love pound of flesh it is one of the greatest things ever created for the system but when you read the cyberware and the weapons it's like uh, this is kind of like i don't know this is like really situation i just want a bionic arm man yeah, I just want to, I want a bionic eye, man. I don't need all this like extra whatever. And so in Rain and Blood, I was like, well, what do just like, what do just like randos get? Like you just get some bargain basement stuff. So I, so I knew, because I love, I love those old school shadow run splat books where it's like, here's a big book of like cyberware. And I wanted to do that. I could do a whole book of that, honestly. And this is, this is zero mothership. So there really isn't anything. So I, so here it is in the skill tree. I was like, my friends and I were like, where is like, we're missing some skills on here. And I'm like, yeah, I think they cut some out f- for graphic design reasons. It feels like we're missing some skills. So I, I put that back in there and I put a character sheet in there. Like I, I can, like a, like my character sheet rain and blood is like, okay, here, you don't have to have the flow, the full flow chart character. Sheet. You can just have a normal character sheet with color. And like, just, I wanted to help break free people's minds from like how rigid some of the stuff. See, it's not, he's, the rigidity of the design and mothership is not on purpose. It's just Sean's aesthetic. Like you don't have to match that. You could do whatever you want. And Sean and Alan talk about that all the time. So I, it was kind of like a give back to me. That was the funnest part for me was building these technical manuals, like in the back of the uh, back of the zine. And um, it was funny about this, Eric, and this is why I put you through the origin story stuff, right? So now I'm hearing 
the Star Wars West End and how how important those technical stuff that they put out there was to you, you know, growing up and, you know, the skills and all of the things in in uh, Shadowrun. And I've always found it very interesting how those seeds end up, you know, showing up in your work later. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, like and then like, it's kind of like I have the mental ability and the software knowledge or whatever. to like not only make reproduce that for almost one to one, it's like enhance it. Cause like right. it, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, I don't, it just seems so wondrous to me. Like even like uh, like Dyson logos and his, like his cool, like uh, isometric dungeon maps. I'm like, how yep. do you do that? And now I know, like now I know how, so now I really put it out there, dude. I was like, it was just fun to, to do that stuff, you know, like the, and then I've learned a lot though in the process and I've made a lot of awesome friends, man, that like I, the, the the whole process, honestly, to anybody who's listening who wants to do this, the whole process was like a journey. I work all the time. I'll never go to Machu Picchu or see the Great Wall of China necessarily. But this this it it felt like a journey, like an adventure. Oh, that's cool through the medium. That's Meeting, cool. I got Andrew Gaska, like the creator. He's a friend of mine now. You can just message him on Facebook. He responds to you. Like, yeah, Phil, he's been on the show. He's a great guy. Yeah, he, we're friends. We've gamed together. Like, he's a great dude. Like. Uh, yeah. all, all these, uh, all the guys are freely really great guys. And like, I've, yeah. I would never have met these people if I had not have taken the plunge and done, done this. I, I'm, I'm amazed, Eric, uh, just how generous the community is. Um, oh, yeah. and, and it really is, is, is neat. And it, um, we, you don't have, it's different than a lot of the other communities. I, I, you know, was in the miniature community for a long time and it's just, there's just a different um mentality as far as for the creatives involved and the sharing in the community it's the the role-playing gr- industry is is very very interesting especially when you get down to the indie scene right into the zine right. scene and stuff like that it's very impressive so the big question now eric is what's next so there is so people have asked me about a follow-up which i am thinking about doing and i have an idea why we all died yeah, it's true. <laughs> did you, did you run it? Not yet. No, okay. I'm making a joke. <laughs> I mean, my uh, I had I had a whole team. I had I had a whole team wipe the first time I ran it, and I was like, "You guys, you guys can't just do, you can't just run around these halls. It's kind, it's kind of like System Shock. You you, you got to like take your time and like sneak around. You can't just be like running in there. You're gonna die. You're not gonna. And then um, so this talk about follow, but the next thing. Well, I mean, I'll just go ahead and tell. The next thing is probably going to be a is a going to be a prison a prison world sandbox, which nice. is which is very traveler because mm-hmm. Prison Planet by Traveler is a, the shit. And uh, if you haven't read it, I shouldn't. And I wanted to like again. I wanted if you wanted to if if no one's good. I wanted to. I want to do some world building. And it's like you can do with these pirates, you can deal with this prison, you can deal with this space station, and it's all in this section of the thing, and you can go there right. and like bounce around, bounce around. Sean kind of did that with Great Descent. You, you can go to Cloud Bank, you can go to Prospero's Dream. Mm-hmm. So that's my my goal is to to install a few more like points in that world. So you can just I I I'm, I don't have a lot of time to write anymore. So a lot of times I'll pick up an adventure and I'll change some things around. 
and I want to respect people's time because like, those days of being in high school and just spending a whole weekend just like drawing math, I don't have time for that. Man. No, no, I'm the same way, man. I I do the same thing. I, I grab published stuff, you know, and then that gives me my launching point. It gives me some premises to work from, and yeah. then we just play, right? And we see where the table goes at that right. point. Um, so the last question that I always like to ask my guests is, what are you consuming right now that you're loving? And it could be another RPG, it could be a book, it could be a movie, a video game. But is there something that lately you have just grabbed onto and just can't get enough of? Yes, the Genesis. Oh my God! You know what I'm talking about that? Uh, no, Ger- that German game, the Genesis. No. So basically, I highly. Well, it's dead now. The game just died. The guys are like, we didn't make any money. But the world building in the Genesis, and if, if you, if you know, if you're if you're a real one, you know what I'm talking about. Like the books and the world building are ridiculous like i would never find anybody to run this game because it's just like too it's kind of like it's kind of like coriolis where it's like it's just it's just so like yeah yeah i don't know i don't know if i don't think you could find four guys who would really want to play this without you know absorb it it's so much i've never heard of this thing what let's talk to me about this what is this it's basically it's a german rpg i'm pretty sure it's german anyway it's it's set in it's set in the it's set in the far future where uh it's it's humanity's recovered after an, after an apocalypse a virus has basically like laid waste to the world and people have like started these new societies and it's very like i don't know how to i don't know how to describe it but the the <laughs> art design the art design is bar none it was i think it's called uh what was it something vodkas i can't remember the company's name but like i dave uh Thermo, thurmond on youtube he does a really good deep dive into the genesis um there's a lot of like religious stuff in there too there's like cults and there's like it's just based it's 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 i'll send you a link after this but it's if anybody anybody listening i highly recommend it because the books the art the art in those books are amazing the design the whole thing was a flex by this company to be like buy our stuff the problem their fatal mistake (laughs) was giving away all their pdfs for free and then trying to make money on the back end on the hardback book so everyone just downloaded it for free and then didn't buy the books yeah so, yeah that so, sucks yeah so probably that and like robotech man like i never i can't ever get that <laughs> yeah and guys we'll have a link to that down if you scroll down right now we're gonna have a link not only where you can pick up rain of blood yourself because i'm i know you're super excited about it it is um as we're finishing up dead planet on the channel you can look forward to us live streaming rain rain of blood i've made the decision a little bit early on that's gonna be the next mothership we do uh, and depending on when this release it could be coinciding with that but uh eric i really appreciate you making the time man yeah and again i'm sorry craig uh our schedules didn't line up man it's like this is my I have my day job it's like i have to like dance around with clients and then i have it's just a lot that i have to do and then i have to like i people pay me money to fight other people <laughs> i have a bouncer also so like i run a security company at night so like and then I, it's just it's just a lot man you know how it is like, you have to buy your income so uh but i yeah. thank you so much this has been probably one of the most pointed interviews i've had and well, I had thank a lot you. of fun, man. I had a lot of fun, dude. Uh, all right, brother. It was good hanging out with you. And for those of you listening, you made it all the way to the end. And I appreciate you, too. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Subscribe to Tabletop Talk and share it with your friends. Check out our content on YouTube and Twitch. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and stay updated on everything coming from Third Floor. All the links are in the show notes. 
Take care, Lowerheads. You still here? Wow. Um, well, the episode is over, but if you're bored, why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down. Scroll down and, yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon Discord? Anyway... Thanks for sticking around. Take care.